Well, good morning, everyone. How are you doing? It's good to see you, and welcome again to Clear Creek. If you're just walking in, I'm Josh, one of the ministers, and i got to tell you, if you're visiting, this is one of the sweetest churches uh, to belong to. I'm just so glad to be here, and if you're looking for a place to call home, I would encourage you to stick around, say hi to some folks. And I would also encourage you, don't take today's message as the standard for every Sunday. We'll get into that in just a moment. If you have your Bibles, grab them, and I need you to go to two passages. First one, go to Psalm 139. Psalm 139. Put a finger, a bookmark, or a piece of paper in there. Psalm 139. And then I need you to go with me over to Luke chapter 18, Luke chapter 18, and I'll remind you as I do each week, please bring your Bible. Do not simply rely on the reliability of this screen, but look in your scriptures that God has been so kind to give you. Now, while you're turning there, a couple things. First, you may notice in our midst some people wearing these great shirts about Haiti. I see a few of them right over here. And I think there are some others. Oh, right here we've got a couple, and over here we've got now, if you see someone with a Haiti shirt. And they look absolutely bone-tired. It's because they just got back from a week serving the Lord and serving the local church and the people in Haiti. Can we just welcome home our family from serving this week? Man, thank you all. Number two, you missed it, but at first service we had a celebrity in our midst. Scott Stevens, who had been here at Clear Creek for a number of years, and his parents... David and Tricia Stevens are still here. He, last Sunday, won the Canadian PGA Tournament. And so he was here in the first service, and, uh, you know, uh, I don't know if there are any fanboys or girls in the room, but it was neat to see him home before he goes back up north to continue his golf career. Now, I have two things I do need to share with you that are maybe a little less exciting, but very important. This week... Tom Mathis, this is Matt Mathis' father, passed away. So we want to pray for Matt and his family. And also, on Friday of this week, Donna Commerce, she, after a long battle with cancer, she passed away as well. And so, obviously, Tim and the kids, we want to pray for them and ask for God's peace. And so we're going to do that before we dive into today's teaching. Let's pray. Father, we ask you to be with our brothers and sisters who are experiencing the pain of loss And the fact is, although we know death ultimately loses, it still hurts when we are separated from those that mean so much to us. And so we ask you as the God who knows what it's like to lose friends, and yes, you, God, know what it's like to even lose a son. We pray that you'll comfort and be near to each person who's hurting today, specifically the Mathis and Commerce family. And Father, I I thank you that our hope does not end at the tomb, but because of your work We have hope beyond the grave. So we celebrate Jesus and the blessed reunion that we will enjoy one day. It is in Jesus' name we pray. And all those who agree said, Amen. All right, here we go. We're in a series called Asking for a Friend, Biblical Answers to Tough Questions, because the church must be a place where the difficult questions can be asked. Can I get an amen? The church must never be a place where the tough questions, the real questions of life, are prohibited. And so we're going to, over the course of a few more weeks, deal with some of the more tricky text topics 
and situations because we believe God is big enough to handle them. And I want to begin here as we talk about this tough topic. From the beginning, Christians have been supportive and protected and valued all life. From the oldest man in the nursing home to the unborn child in her mother's womb, Christians value and protect all life. And we do this because our Savior did this. Now, there are a lot of texts that show us God's heart for all humans, all people. But there's one in particular I want us to look at. This story is found in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's accounting of Jesus' life. We're going to look at the one in Luke today. It's a familiar story. It's found in Luke chapter 18, beginning in verse 15. It says this. By the way, I love the sound of pages flipping. Now they, talking about parents, they were bringing even infants, newborn babies, to Jesus that he might touch them. And when the disciples saw it, they rebuked them. But Jesus called them to him, saying, Let the children come to me and do not hinder them. Why? For to such belongs the kingdom of God. Truly I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God, like... A, what's that word? Child shall not enter it. Here's what we need to know. This text, this story, this moment is a story about value. Who has it and who does not have it. Now, it was not uncommon for people to come and see Jesus. Many people would come because they wanted a meal. After all, he made bread. They wanted to see a miracle. They wanted to hear a sermon. They wanted to see the Messiah. They came for a variety of reasons. But what makes today unique, this moment, is that they were then bringing their little kids to be blessed by Jesus. We have baby dedication. This was baby dedication on steroids. You don't have a minister praying over the kid. You have God himself. Who would want to show up for that? Yeah. So they come with their kids, but the disciples think something's not right here. They begin to rebuke the parents bringing their children. After all, kids, according to even Jewish culture, were considered second-class citizens. Now, if a rich person or a well-known rabbi came to see Jesus, they'd make time and space. Come, see him. But infants? Jesus is far too busy for those who have no value. It wasn't just the Jewish culture who had this view of young people. The Greco-Roman culture, the much larger culture around them, was even less kind to the young and to infants. Their view was that only those who were beautiful, strong, brave, or were able to contribute meaningfully to society, only those people had value. In other words, value was based on one's capacity to reason, make moral choices, or contribute to society. So a person who had a physical defect or a mental or social issue was not valued, but those who wise or smart or, or good-looking or helpful. They had value in their culture. But children, children were valueless. That's why the ancient philosopher Seneca wrote these words. He said, we drown children at birth when they are weak or abnormal. And Pliny the Younger, he was another philosopher, he gave a list of ways, creative ways, of having an abortion. In fact, there's this first century letter written by a Roman soldier, and it's a really pleasant letter. He's writing to his pregnant wife and talking about what's going on, asking questions. 
But then he very casually makes this statement in his letter. When the child is born, if it is a boy, name him, and he gives the name. Then he says this. But if it's a girl, let it die of exposure. Because in the Greco-Roman world, you had value if you had a capacity to contribute to society. And if you did not, if you were not beautiful, strong, intelligent, or socially capable, you did not have value. Here's what you need to know. Abortion is an issue of value as well. Those who have it and those who don't. By the way, this Roman worldview is the reason, it's the dominant reason we still have abortion in America. Let me give you a few things here. It is an issue of value. Who has it, who doesn't? Now, I know some people will say, Diggs, I don't think that's why abortion is still legal. Isn't it true that we're still unsure of if that thing inside of a woman is really a human? Isn't it just a clump of cells? Has anyone else heard this argument or one like it? Yeah, I mean, this is a common talking point, so let's just talk for a moment here. So the first question is about science. Go ahead and put this up. We're not sure if an unborn baby is really a baby. So let's just be very honest. By the way, can we be honest in the church? Is that okay? It's probably a good place to begin. Maybe bring honesty in the rest of our lives as well. So we'll talk honestly here. In 1973, when Roe v. Wade was passed, we did not have... 3D sonograms. We could not see and peer into the mother's womb and see this unborn child smile. So let's just talk hard, cold facts for a moment. Scientific, verifiable truths. By eight weeks old, this little bitty person already, already, put this up, has the ability to suck their thumb. Isn't that great? By this age, these little people not only are able to suck for some, but respond to sound. There's evidence that they also are able to dream. Did you know this? By the way, what do you think that unborn babies dream about? Have you ever thought about that? What's their point of reference? Man, I wonder, and this is just speculating, but if, I wonder if before we're born, if somehow we see the face of God, if God somehow shows up, and I, I don't know, but wouldn't it be cool if that's what we dream about? Before we come into this world, we get a glimpse of what we get to go back to one day. But they dream. Put this next one up. By eight weeks old, they also recoil from pain. Why? Because by eight weeks old, they have a fully functioning nervous system. All of their major organs are already in place. So their nervous system can go, oh, that hurts. So, for instance, uh, Dr. Ben Carson, he used to do surgery on unborn children. And if he had to go up there, he would talk about how they would, you know, if he had to, you know, maybe, you know, cut a foot part to help the child... the kid would pull his heel back because, wow, that hurts. They have fully formed nervous systems. They have brains that send signals saying, don't do that. They have hearts that pump blood. They have a liver that makes blood cells, kidneys that clear fluids, and they even have little fingerprints. By 21 weeks old, a child can survive outside of the womb with some help. Here's what you need to know, friends. Of the nearly 800,000 abortions last year, Virtually all of them were past this point. So first thing we need to just be very clear on, science 
is getting closer and closer and closer to what Scripture has said for thousands of years. It's like we're just now getting our intelligence level up to the base level that if we just read the Scriptures, we would know this. What do Scriptures say about human beings? Psalm 139 tells us. Look at this verse. For you, God, created my inmost being. You knit me together. Say these words out loud. In my mother's womb. In other words, God is in the process of building a human inside of me. God is in the process of creating life. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All the days, of, all the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. Now, I love these two phrases. He says, your eyes saw my unformed body. He saw my physicality. And then, my inmost being, you also saw my personality. Before I was born, before you were born, God was knitting together your body, what we can see, and your sense of humor. And what makes you giggle or get frustrated, your personality. How many of you have a kid who's in elementary or middle school, and they still think potty jokes are hilarious? Anyone else? My 11-year-old boy, if it's a potty joke, it's funny. By the way, just curious, how many grown men still think that's funny? Anyone else in here? Yeah, you liars, I know you do. God saw how he would make you your external and your internal. You are not a clump of cells according to scripture, but you are an individual designed by God. Let's be very clear. Sometimes we will use words to mask our intent. And so we call abortion something euphemistically like reproductive health. If someone dies in the process, it's not health. Or we'll use this word, we'll say it's not a baby, it's a fetus. Friend, do you know that's just a play on words? Do you know what the word fetus means? It's Latin for offspring. In other words, unless you're giving birth to a sea turtle, what you're giving birth to, your offspring, is a human being coming out of the tube does not confer personhood to the individual. That's science. God saw us as distinct individuals while he knit us together. So why is abortion still legal? Let me give you just a couple more things here, and then we're going to get to some hope because we need hope today as well. And the good news of the gospel is there's hope for everyone, but we'll get to that in a moment. So why? Why is it still legal? Now, there will be some who tell you the reason it should remain legal is for those horrific, rare instances of rape, incest, and the mother's life is in danger. Let's just talk statistics for a moment here. You need to know that statistically speaking, the... The issue or the reason for abortion because the mom's life is in danger is vanishingly small. And as far as rape and incest being the reason for abortion, according to the Guttmacher Institute, you say, what's that? That is a wildly pro-abortion organization. Even they, when they did their research, found that the reason for abortions for rape or incest were only about 1% of all abortions. So here, when I've had friends who've said, but Josh, what about those situations? Hear what I always say back. I'll say, listen, I believe in those situations that is still a human life. But let's just play a game. If I grant you, which I'm not, but if I grant you that an unborn child who's the product of rape or incest should be aborted, if I grant you that, will you agree with me that the other 99% should be protected and those abortions illegal? And unless they say absolutely, then I know that this is not the real issue at hand. Do you follow me, friends? We're talking about just being intellectually honest here. 
So what it comes down to is really this bigger question. And the question is, how does one evil act of rape or incest, we would all agree that is evil. Amen? Amen. How does one evil act justify another evil act, the murder of an innocent life? That child did not cause the sin. Why should the child suffer for the sin of another? Some of you may be familiar with the name Kathy Barnett. She recently ran, unsuccessfully, but she ran for House of Representatives in Pennsylvania. She was interviewed, and in her interview, she talked about how she came into this world. Listen to what she says in this clip. I grew up in a home with no insulation, no running water, an outhouse in the back and a well on the side. I am the byproduct of a rape. My mother was 11 years old when I was conceived. My father was 21. And there I was (laughs) in her womb. I had, I took no part in how I was conceived. And yet there I was. Saw me as someone with value. (laughs) I'm so grateful. How simple. And yet, today, we have murdered over 63 million babies because somehow we have convinced ourselves that that life has no value, that that life has no purpose. My life is valuable. My life has purpose. Do you remember Paul's words in Romans chapter 12 and 21? He says, do not be overcome by what? Evil, but overcome evil with good. One wrong act does not justify another wrong act. So now, if it's not science and if it's not justifiable because of this, then why in the world is there still abortion? Why do we still allow this to take place? And what it comes down to is the same reason that the Greco-Roman world encouraged and allowed it as well. It comes down to an issue of value. Who has value and who does not have value? Now, we cannot say that it's ultimately for my convenience, so we talk about value systems. We will say it is because the woman's right to choose is more valuable than the unborn babies. The right of the husband or boyfriend or friend who pressures the woman to an abortion is more valuable than the unborn babies. Isn't that what the Romans were saying, that if it's inconvenient, if they do not bring something to the table for you or society, if they are a burden, then they are not worthy of our respect or our protection. This is what abortion activist and author Mary Elizabeth Williams actually said in her article written on January 23, 2013. Her article was entitled, So What If Abortion Ends Life? This is her quote. She says, Yet I know that throughout my own pregnancy, I never wavered for a moment in the belief that I was carrying a human life inside of me. I believe that's what a fetus is. It's a human life. And that doesn't make me one iota less solidly pro-choice. Now, here's what she just basically said. She said, I know that the unborn human baby is a human life, but it's still the woman's right to choose whether or not to kill the life of this baby. Now, here's her rationale. Notice this. Here's the complicated reality in which we we live, she says. All life is not equal. That's a difficult thing for liberals like me to talk about, lest we wind up looking like death panel loving, kill your grandma and your precious baby stormtroopers. Yet a fetus can be a human life without having the same rights as the woman in whose body it resides. She's the boss. Her life, what's right for her circumstances, and her health should automatically trump the rights of the non-autonomous entity inside of her, period. Always, period. 
And the reason I show you this is not to be ugly, but to be very clear on the reasons people actually give for why. It's a matter of value. Abortion is an issue of value. Who has it and who doesn't? And there's a scary, massive implication if we are going to have a capacities-based view of life that only the big, the beautiful, the strong, the wise get to live. There's a, there's a man named Peter Singer. He is an ethicist and a professor at Princeton University. He agrees with her point of view, and I want you to hear what he says about the implications, the results of this kind of thinking. He says this, that's right, human rights are grounded in capacities, and life in the womb does not have capacity, and therefore the unborn do not have rights. Now, as wrong as he is right there, I commend his honesty for not playing semantic games. He goes on to say this, But, if that is true about unborn babies, then let's keep in mind that born infants don't have those capacities either. They can't reason, they have no preferences, they can't make moral choices, and neither can senile old people, and neither can severely mental handicapped people. Therefore, if you believe abortion is all right based on the argument of capacity, then you cannot protect the rights of any of these other Here's what he's just said. If you cannot protect the unborn, you cannot protect the newly born. If you cannot protect them, you cannot protect the elderly, the mentally handicapped. There's an article in 2017 where Iceland was celebrating the fact that they had finally, by their brilliance, gotten rid of all Down syndrome in their nation. You want to know how they did it? Pre-birth screenings, and they aborted anyone who had Down syndromes. If you have a friend with Down syndrome, or if you know someone like that, even if you don't, that should cause your heart to break. Because what we've just said is, because you don't have certain capacity, you are not valuable. By the way, if it's a level of intelligence that determines your capacity, who gets to decide what IQ point is the baseline for getting to live? Isn't this the basis for many of the holocausts we've seen throughout human history. And so, what you need to know is our value has never been based on capacity. Anyone in here just a little slow or not real athletic or maybe not the most beautiful, anyone in here grateful that our value is not based on those things? This dumb guy is right here. Absolutely. Where do we get the idea that all life has intrinsic value? Well, it comes again from the Bible in Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 and 7. Notice how all humanity is defined. It says this, Then God said, let us make, say this word out loud, mankind in our image, in our likeness. Mankind, one word to define all people who will ever live. Let us make all people, the young, the old, the beautiful, the ugly, the smart, the ignorant, the wealthy, the poor, all people. In the image of God. So God created mankind, all of us, in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. What is he saying? Your value is based on in whose image you were created, not on what you contribute to society. Thank you. So, now, what do we do with this? What do we do with this? Here's what I need you to see. 
With a view of capacities, our, the people that we will protect get smaller and smaller. But Jesus reverses that and he says, no, we protect everyone. We show honor to everyone. We love everyone. In fact, Luke 18, let's go back to our starting point. Remember the little children. When the disciples saw the people bringing the children to Jesus, they rebuked them. But Jesus called to him saying, let the little children come to me and do not hinder them. For to such... To the children, to the seemingly valueless, to the marginalized, helpless, and unprotected, to such belongs the kingdom of God. He says, all people, including those that no one else values, all people are worthy of life and dignity. Jesus grants equal value, dignity, and protection to all human life from the oldest man in the nursing home to the unborn baby in the mother's womb. All are created in the image of God and worthy of protection and value. And the church said, Amen. Amen. So what do we do with this? Let me give you four things because this is not simply to talk about what is not right. Because if we leave us there, we've not told the gospel, have we? Friends, do you know the gospel says we have all messed up far worse than we realize? And the gospel says, but cheer up. I've paid the price for what you've done. So let me give you four responses. We've talked about what our culture sees and says. We've talked about what the Greco-Roman culture sees and says. And even what Jewish culture saw about children. Let's talk about what Jesus' culture says. Jesus' culture, Jesus' way, calls each of us first to repent of our personal indifference towards abortion. The first thing before we begin to talk about anything outside of our own lives is to say, I am sorry for not caring more about those you care about. Friends, since Roe v. Wade passed in 1973, 63 babies have been murdered. That number's so big, I can't get my arms around it, so here's an illustration. If we dropped bombs on 85 of America's largest cities... And everyone in those cities died. That is equivalent to the number of children murdered before they were born in America since 1973. That should hurt our hearts. And I'm far more concerned at moments when Joshua is more concerned to throw damnation and condemnation on others rather than to repent that I don't even care enough to pray about it. I would say to all of us that my indifference and ours, the Lord would say, we are on dangerous ground. So the first place, before we talk about anything else, our first response, I believe, is to confess our indifference and ask the Lord to forgive us so that we will have hearts sensitive like Jesus. Number two, Jesus' way calls us to value every human life the way Jesus did. Every human life, not just some. This means the unborn child who is not yet capable of making his or her own decisions. Or contribution to society has inherent value and worth, and they deserve love, care, and protection. And the woman who has an abortion out of fear or convenience, friends, she has, friend, you have inherent value. And from God's people, you deserve love, care, protection, and hear me Forgiveness. That is what is deserved. And to the man who pressured a woman, his wife, his girlfriend, his daughter, to have an abortion, he is made in the image of God. 
and has inherent value. And from God's people, he deserves love, care, protection, and forgiveness. Why? Because that's what God does to and for sinners. Do you remember in John chapter 8, that beautiful moment, Jesus is teaching, and a group of religious leaders take a woman caught in the act of adultery, throw her before Jesus, ready to kill her. Because she has categorically done something wrong. And the just penalty in their society was her life. What does Jesus do, friends? Well, look what he does. Then neither do I condemn you. Now, he doesn't say what you did was okay, but he does not condemn. He says, go now and what? Leave your life of sin. In other words, Jesus cares, loves, and protects and calls us to a better way. And what about the man on the cross who lived his life in rebellion? He was on the cross for rebelling against Rome and living his life selfishly. Has anyone in here ever done anything in your whole life that was about you, about being selfish? Anyone else on the cross, unable to pay for what he did? What does he say to Jesus? I'm here because I earned it. You're, not he- you're here not because you deserve it, but will you remember me? And what does Jesus say? I tell you the truth. Today you will be with me in paras- paradise. He doesn't say, it's too late, you blew it. He says, there is hope for all, even at the last moment of life. Our God is a redeeming God. Period. End of story. There is no sin that is bigger than the grace of Jesus. And I want to say something to those of you in here who are in that one in four women percentage. Because... According to statistics, one in four women will have an abortion. And within our church, there are those who have. Last night at our preview service, there were two different families. That's their story. One of them came up to me afterward and said, I know I've been forgiven, but I'm just heartbroken over it. Here's what I would say if we could sit and just talk one-on-one. Can we just be honest with you? Just for a moment here. You need to hear me, sister. You need to hear me, brother. Our God is in the business of drawing some of the brightest lights from the darkest places. How many of you know the name of Paul? Any of you remember this hero of the faith? He's the guy who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament and planted more churches than you've even visited. How does his story begin? By holding the coats of others who were murdering a Christian. He then goes about kicking in doors, dragging out fathers and mothers and children to be shackled, imprisoned, and killed. He was a murderer opposing the church of God. And what does he then write? For it is by grace you've been saved. He says he's the chief of sinners and yet Christ's mercy falls on him. What about this man named David? How many of you remember the poet king who wrote so many beautiful psalms, who slayed the giant, oh yes, and committed forceful rape or, at best, adultery with a woman, tried to cover it up, and when that didn't work, what did he do? Have the husband murdered. And yet he is called a man after God's own heart. Why? Because God is in the business of taking from the darkest places and making his brightest lights. What about Moses? He spent... Forty years in exile because he had murdered a man with his bare hands. Hear me now. Don't you dare believe the lie from the devil that this one sin gets to define your entire life. If this was bigger than the grace of Jesus Christ, we wouldn't talk about it. 
But Jesus' grace is bigger than any sin, anything that you go, why? This is something you need to hear from the book of life, that God's grace covers all of us. That when he went to the cross, he gave his life for all the lives that we've taken or the things that we've done wrong. His grace is sufficient. Don't you dare believe the lie that your sin is bigger than the cross of Jesus Christ. And it is our job as a church to be the representatives of that honest, beautiful truth to a world that needs to hear, go and sin no more, but there is forgiveness at the cross of Jesus. Number three. This is a touchy one, but let me put it up here. Go ahead. Jesus' way calls us to consider how we vote. Now, let me be real careful here. This is not a political conversation. Here's what I mean. In the 1800s, when women were prohibited from voting. Do you all remember reading about that one in our little textbooks? God rose up women, people from within their own ranks, to speak out so that now women are able to vote. Any of you think that was a pretty good idea? Okay, yeah. By the way, first service, no one said anything. I thought, "Uh uh-oh. And so, okay. (sighs) Or in the 1960s, when our black brothers and sisters were not being treated equally or fairly, God rose up from within their ranks, men and women, to speak out against that injustice. People like Martin Luther King Jr. who said we are all made equal in God's sight. But let me ask you, who among the unborn community is going to stand up and speak out on their own behalf? Jesus has always spoken up for those who have no voice And now, as Jesus' people, we do the same thing. And number four, more importantly than all the rest, perhaps, we vote with our own lives. You know, it's easy to go into a voting booth and punch a button. Doesn't take anything from me, does it? But the call of Jesus Christ is to meet with people who need to know Jesus. He met with the sinners, the tax collectors, the prostitutes, Those who everyone said had no value because that was the easy thing to do. Say, just ignore those who have given their lives away. Yet Jesus says, if you are going to follow me, you're going to vote with your lives on how you care for people. Here's what this means practically. It means that if you know a young woman who is in a vulnerable situation, if you know someone who is on a brink of making a decision that will leave scars that they will wish they could remove, but they will not personally be able to we step up and in the gap we offer care support love and encouragement for as long as it takes because that is what christ continues to do for you and for me it means that as the church of jesus christ we don't simply encourage others but we become a part of the solution through adoption and fostering my sister one of my sisters i have a bunch of sisters one of my sisters She and her husband have been fostering this cute little kid, red hair, a smile that could light up New York City. And I hope he becomes theirs eventually. And while we're not fostering, we support them. So if you can't adopt or foster, you come alongside those who are and you bless them financially, emotionally, with encouragement. But as Christ followers, it is not enough to merely say no to something. We must be those who with our lives say this is what life looks like. And did you know this is why the world is different today? It's because there was a small group of people who stepped up into this Greco-Roman culture that said people's value was based on capacity. But there was a small group 
This weird little tribe, this band of followers of a rabbi named Jesus who said that children are made in the image of God like we are and that all people are valuable to God and worthy of dignity and protection. And because of what they did, the world has never been the same. There was an early church leader, a guy by the name of Beningus of Dijon. Yes, they made great mustard there. And this is what he wrote about the early church. He said, we nursed, supported, and protected a number of deformed and crippled children that had been saved from death after failed abortions and exposures. It is because those who follow a risen Savior cared for those who couldn't care for themselves that the world has never been the same. This morning we've talked about a very tough topic and I know for many of us this hits closer to home than we wish it did. I want you to know if you are in Christ, you're forgiven. Do not carry that anymore. If you're not in Christ, you can be forgiven. And you can have the assurance that no matter what you do, no matter what dark moments of your life, you wish you could take a magic eraser to, that God's grace can even forgive that. All it takes is to do what we saw this morning where we say, I believe he's bigger than my sins. I trust him as my savior and I will follow him as my Lord. And then you go under the water, not because there's any magic in water, but because you are being covered both symbolically and reality in the grace of God. Every part of your life is now his.